It's a great time of year to come and talk about worship. We've been talking in this series that we've been doing on Wednesdays um, about coming to worship, taken from the wise men who said uh, to Herod that they have seen the star in the east and they have come to worship. That's what we come for. We come before him, seeking after him, following his truth, engaging with his word because we want to worship him. And so uh, in our first week, we talked about lifting up holy hands. Anybody been lifting up your hands? You've been thinking about what that means? Amen. Maybe some of you lifted up your hands for the first time. I, I, I didn't uh, speak about that. Pastor did such a phenomenal job talking about that. But I thought back to when I was a kid, I brought a friend to church who had never been to a Pentecostal church. And uh, at the same time, everybody lifted their hands. He was a Catholic, and uh, he turned and he grabbed me. He said, what is everybody reaching for? And I said, Jesus, man, I never really thought about it. Um, But we we lift our hands in worship. Last week, we heard about bringing our gifts with a joyful heart. And tonight, I want to conclude the series about uh, coming to worship. And and I want to talk to you from the topic of bow your knees. Somebody say, bow your knees. I want to talk to you tonight about bowing your knees, kneeling before God in the act of surrender and worship. In fact, uh, we're going to start tonight with a portion of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, tell the story of how the wise men actually came and experienced Jesus Christ. They, they had come, uh, history tells us, uh, uh, and scholars tell us, approximately 900 miles to find Jesus. And verses 10 and 11 tell us what happens when they finally Get there. Verse 10 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Another translation says it that they were overjoyed. Why were they overjoyed? Because for literally centuries upon centuries, they were hoping, praying, and believing that one day God would send a Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so the wise men believed that this was the moment. That they had been waiting for. They, were, they saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They're overjoyed because the time has come to meet the Messiah. And verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Somebody say that. They fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. And opening of their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They come to the house where the child is with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And, and how, how many of you have a nativity scene somewhere in your house? <coughs> in that nativity scene, there are, there's usually, you know, the manger, and, uh, and, and the wise men are standing there with the manger, and the baby is in the manger, and... Maybe you have a donkey. Uh, Maybe you have Joseph and Mary and and the little uh, hut that's over them. And and many times that's how we picture this scene where the wise men are bowing before the manger with this baby in a manger. But most scholars believe and tell us that, that Jesus was not a baby when the wise men showed up. That he was actually probably around two years old. And so the picture changes dynamically when you see these wise men and they come 
and they bowed down before a two-year-old. Does anybody here have a two-year-old or, or maybe you, you have a grandchild that's two or do you know somebody that's two years old? Anybody just wave your hand at me. Anybody ever met a two-year-old? This Last Saturday we had uh, Ryland's birthday party. He turns four tomorrow. And uh, my, my brother and sister-in-law came down from Longview and they brought their two-year-old. And it's been a couple of years, but I forgot what it was like to have a two-year-old. Because that dude, he didn't just come in and sit in the house and make small talk. Uh, he, he didn't go over to the snacks and pick at the snacks and, and talk about the weather. That dude was everywhere. All over the house. Everything he touched had drool on it. And it wasn't because the drool was there first. He put it on it. I was, I was messing with him in the kitchen and... And I said, oh, no, he's about to slip. There's somebody must have dropped something. We were by the sink, and I thought it was wet. And uh, I reached down, and I wiped the floor. And uh, I, I was worried about him. And, and they said, uh, oh, oh, well, nobody spilled anything. That's from him. <laughs> he's just drooling everywhere, all over the house. In fact, this is the same brother-in-law. Now, I'm, I can pick on him because he's not here. And he probably won't watch online if y'all don't tell him. It's the same brother-in-law that when we had a two-year-old, he would say things like, well, when I have a kid, I ain't going to do that. We're not going to let them act up in restaurants. When I have a kid, we're not going to do that. And what a blessing at Christmas time <laughs> to see the tables turn. <laughs> because I was chuckling all weekend because every time I looked up, they were chasing after him. And, and, or, or they just got to that point of resignation where like, just let him go. We'll try to clean up after him later. Just let him do it. He's two years old and he's a cute little dude. Curly head, blue, uh, blue eyes, and, and into everything. We went out to eat uh, and my, my sister-in-law, she's half Brazilian. And so she, uh, she wanted to go to Latin Foods over in West Monroe. She loves the, the South American food. So we went and sat down and they, you know, they give you this rice with beans and and all of the Mora rice that's mixed together, and I had some on my plate, and, uh, and, and little Monroe was sitting next to me, that's his name, and he reaches over and just grabs a handful of my Mora rice and shoves it in his mouth. He didn't ask or anything. He just reached over and grabbed a handful in his mouth. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, he's lucky he's two. Because if he was 12, we would have a problem. That's two-year-olds for you, amen? You, you've been through those stages. Most of us here, they're banging on the table. They're throwing a fork. And, and, and we all want to judge the parents before we had a two-year-old like Matt. Oh, my kid will never do that. And it's wonderful to see him struggling with that now. Because now it's like, buddy, whatever you want, just give him what he wants. Just whatever it takes, a candy, a pony, a Corvette, whatever he wants, just do whatever it takes to get this child to behave a little bit. And uh, one comedian said of, of two-year-olds that they're like tiny little crazy crackheads. They're, they got stained clothes. And they're toothless and crazy. They walk up and say things that are not true. I can fly. No, you can't. Yes, I can. They lie. Not only that, they steal. I'm a personal witness. They'll steal your food off your plate. In fact, they're the only people that will walk around stinking, having made a mess in their pants, and lie about it. 
Are you stinky? changes the picture when you think about the wise men come in before this little two-year-old, this toddler bumping around the house, buzzing around the house. But when they see him, they come in and they kneel before him. They fall on their knees and they worship baby Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing about men. Men don't kneel often, amen? Men don't kneel often. It's not uh, you know, sometimes we might take a knee when we're playing sports. Uh, there's only a few times in life that we really kneel. One is to propose. And if you didn't kneel when you proposed, you did it wrong. you got to get down on that knee and pop the question when you're asking somebody to spend the rest of their life. And, you know, I heard someone say that the other time that men kneel is when they're taking pictures for football. And I thought, I thought about it, and I remember when I was a kid, you got the picture with your helmet, and you kneel down. But there's not... A lot of occasion for kneeling in the lives of men. But these men came and, and they knelt before Jesus. And it was a significant act for these wise men who had traveled 900 miles to come and to bow before Jesus. And, and throughout scripture, bowing is interesting because it's a way of showing respect and adoration. In Genesis 23, Abraham bowed himself to the people of the land. When Sarah died, he was in the land of the Hittites. And, and he went and he knelt before the Hittites and asked them if he could purchase land in their territory. As a sign of respect, he bowed before them because they granted him a place to bury his wife in the land of the Hittites. Jacob, when he was coming back home to face Esau, and, and he returned to his homeland... He sent all these gifts ahead of him. And then when he met with Esau, the scripture says that he humbled himself before the brother that he had betrayed. And he bowed before Esau in respect and fear. He bowed before him. In Genesis 43, Joseph's brothers came before him as the governor of the land. And when they came seeking food in the famine, they bowed their knee before him. And over and over again, bowing is shown to be a sign of respect and of reverence in the Scripture. It's also frequently mentioned as an act of adoration to idols and to God. It is an act of worship when someone humbles themselves enough to bow before one that they see as greater than themselves. That's what bowing really means, is that I am deferring and I am humbling myself before one that is greater than than I. In Psalm 95, 6 and 7, the psalmist said, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Come, and let us bow down in worship. Bowing is a part of worship. Just like lifting up the hands is part of worship. Bowing is part of our worship. I always love it when Brother Everett comes down. He's not here tonight. But on Sundays, he'll get on his knees and raise his hands. He's doing the whole series at one time. <laughs> but he gets down on his knees because it's an act of worship. How many of you, when you came to the altar and repented of your sins, you got down on your knees? Anybody ever prayed and you got down in your living room, you needed an answer from God, 
and you got down on your knees and prayed. Bow. It says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. (coughs) Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The Hebrew word there is shakah. And it is used 170 times in the Old Testament. And it means this, to bow down, to fall flat, uh, to fall down flat or prostrate, and to worship. And so one must ask themselves, why would we do this? When we come to God, why would we fall down? Why would we bow down in worship? Why would we do that? Because, listen, so holy is our God, and so mighty and, and so separate from everything else is our God, that when we come before Him, we come humbling ourselves in recognition of how truly great He is. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. Moses wanted to see what God was all about. And he said, show me your face. And God told Moses, no man can look upon my face and live, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll make my glory to pass over you and you'll be able to see the hinder parts of God, but you can't look upon me and live. Why? Moses had this glory experience where he couldn't even look upon the face of God, but when he came down... From that experience, his face was glowing because of the presence that he had been in so that the people couldn't look upon Moses. He was just a reflection, just residual glory of God. And the scripture says he has to veil his face and hide his face because nobody can look upon it in Israel. That's how holy our God is. That even a second-hand encounter with His glory, is too much for us to behold. That's why we bow in worship, because He's so much greater than we are. He's so much higher than we are. He's so much bigger than we are, that we cannot just come in haughty before God. There's a Hebrew legend, and I've I've heard it preached, and I I suspect because it preaches good. But it's a, it's a legend, and, and I can't prove it to you in Scripture, but the legend is that when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, that he would wear a rope and bells so that, that if he were unworthy and he fell down dead in the presence of God, they so revered and respected the inner sanctum and the Holy of Holies that no one would dare go in or even think about trying to enter that place but the one high priest one time a year. Why? Because so holy is our God that He deserves reverence. In Revelation 5, the Scripture tells that John saw uh, in, in his vision, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And he said, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Here is God with this scroll on his throne. And the angel says, who is worthy? And they can find nobody that can open the scroll. In fact, the Bible says that John weeps. Now, here's the interesting thing about that scroll. I found a day in studying that, (coughs) that the scroll had writing on the front and in the back. And that was significant because in John's time, 
a scroll that would be copied to sell would only have writing on one side, that is the outside. However, if it were one's personal possession, it would likely have writing on both sides. And so God holds out a scroll that has writing on both sides and is sealed with seven seals. It's God's own possession, God's own word, with God's own seal on it. It was a legal document, a testament, that only the testator could break the seal. And so the angel asked, who who can open this scroll? Who is worthy to reveal the word of God? Who is worthy to open it? And the scripture says there's no one found in heaven. Now, now this is at the end of time. This is after we've all made it. And even the people who made it aren't worthy to open the scroll. The angels who have never sinned and never fallen are not worthy to open the scroll. None of them are. And, and John begins to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And when verse 8 says, when he had taken the scroll, who, the lamb that was slain, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, what did they do? They fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they begin to sing a new song. And, and they begin to sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. And Revelations 5 describes as John sees the 24 elders fall down and countless multitudes out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. They all do the same thing when they sing this song, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to open the scroll. The Bible says that they all fall down and they all bow their knee of things in heaven and things in earth. And things under the earth. Why? Because he's worthy. Because he lived a sinless life. Because he suffered a senseless death. Undeserving. He went to the cross and overcame death, hell, and the grave. And the elders recognized that he is a lamb. The conquering lamb who is worthy to open up the scrolls and the seals. And all of heaven and the host of heaven and the four and twenty elders fall down and they bow down in worship before him because he's worthy. See, this is the natural reaction to the revelation of who he is. The scripture says that every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess of things in earth and things in uh, uh, heaven and things in earth and things under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. When does that happen? It happens right here in Revelation 5. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You see, the wise men had a revelation of the stranger in the manger. And so when they came and they recognized who he was, 
when they connected him to the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And they realized that this was the one that they'd been waiting for. They come and they bow before the little boy who was heaven's perfect lamb. They bow before him because they recognize that even though he's just a toddler today, this is the one who will save us from our sins. This is the one we've been looking for. Why bow? Because of the revelation of who he is. You see, so holy is God that mortal man cannot look upon him in his purest essence and even live. And suddenly when you start to comprehend that, that God and the glory of God, the one who spoke and created everything, suddenly kneeling down before him seems like the right thing to do. It seems like the only thing to do. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filling the temple. The Bible says that, that Isaiah, he said, Woe is me, for I am a man that is undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And he fell down before the throne. Bowed down before the throne. Knelt down before the throne and worshipped. It's interesting that there isn't a single place in the Bible where God tells us to bow down to. God doesn't tell us to bow down to him. But it's almost as if he assumes that we will because he knows who he is and what he's done for us. And the only thing that he says about it is don't bow down to idols. Don't bow down to someone else. God says don't bow down to false idols and don't put any other gods before him. He never commands us to bow before him. But it's as if God assumes that when we know who he is, that we'll want to kneel before him in worship. In fact, it is the, the, the voice of an anointed worshiper, the psalmist, that invites us, come, come, uh, let us bow down in worship before our God and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You see, the point of this entire series has been to inspire you to come to worship, not just to worship at church, but to let your life be full of worship. Every day. And here's the beautiful thing is you don't have to come to an altar to bow before God. You can do it in your living room. Amen. I would say you could do it in your car, but you can't do it in your car unless you've got you know, a minivan like I do. Where you get in the back and you can kneel before God. But, but you can do it anywhere. You can do it at home. How many of you ever get down in the morning and you bow your knees before the God of heaven and earth? As a signification that I'm humbling myself and, and seeking your word and your voice today. That's been the whole point is to encourage you to worship. To lift up holy hands to God. To bring your gifts with a heart that is glad as an act of worship to God. And for you to get down on your knees or maybe even a little lower and get down on your face and say, God, I want there to be less of me and I want there to be more of you. What better time to talk about this than when we pause in the middle of all the hustle and bustle in this world, the last Wednesday night of the year, and think about the birth of Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world that he left the throne of glory and became one of us. That a God who had, was so holy and so pure, no man can look upon him, came and suffered 
on the cross for the sins of you and I. What, what better time is there to think about? He wasn't born in a palace, but in a hole in the wall, in a cave, to symbolize that he is not too, uh, too far-reaching, that, that he's not too lofty of a God to reach us right where he is, that he came for the lowest of the low, for the hurting. And that is who he is, based on who he is and what he did. The only reasonable response is to bow down and worship him. And so, for the, the, the last few minutes tonight, I want to talk to you about three different reasons why you might want to bow before God. Three reasons you might want to kneel before him. And, and Mark chapter 10 um, tells an interesting story. We've preached about it over and over again. I, I've preached so many different times on this very passage of the rich young ruler. And Mark ten seventeen says that, that as Jesus started on his way, uh, this rich young ruler, this man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And he said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've preached this so many times that I can't tell you how many times I've preached on the question. And not even really realized the posture that he was in when he asked the question. He comes to Jesus. This is a man who is rich, who is well learned, who is religious, who has a lot of stuff. But the Bible says that he comes and he falls on his knees before Jesus and asks him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's rich and he's well off, but something's still missing. Something's still missing. He was well informed, but he's still searching for an answer. Still looking for what's missing in his life. And so why, why does he come and kneel and fall on his knees before Jesus? Because he is kneeling in pursuit. He's looking for something. He knows some stuff. He's got some stuff. We might call it blessings on his life. He's, he's got some things, but he is looking for for an answer. He's looking for the missing thing in his life. So he falls on his knees before God. And this is him admitting that he didn't have the answers. This is a, a rich man. Now, if I, can I be transparent? Like We started a church in Flagstaff. And I found that it's a whole lot easier to reach people who have nothing than it is to reach people who have something. It really is. Easier to start a church with people that are that are struggling to pay their bills, that are looking that the, the need is so apparent and obvious in their life, it's easier to reach them. It's harder to reach the big houses. You know, we just drive through the neighborhoods and pray, oh Lord, let tithe checks flow out of these houses. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But but really I came to quickly realize that it's a whole lot easier to find somebody riding the city bus than it is to get somebody who's driving a Rolls Royce. It's a whole lot easier because the needs loom large in their life. But, but for those who have things, they comfort themselves with things. And, and what a significant moment that this rich, young, religious man who has so much going for him comes and he admits to Jesus that there's something missing in his life, that there's something, that, that there's an answer that he doesn't have. This is his admission that he needs Jesus to show him the way to life. 
and, and he kneels in pursuit of God. It, it reminded me of Mark chapter 5 when Jesus arrives in Gadara and he, his feet touch the sore. And the, the scripture tells the story of a man who is demon possessed with a, a legion of demons and he lives in the tombs and he cuts himself day and night, and, and, and he, he howls out in the tombs. He, he's a crazy man. They've tried to bind him with ropes, and that didn't work, and they, they've tried every method, and, and he has a need, just like the rich young ruler has a need. The rich and the poor, the put together and the one who has nothing together, the one who has it all and the one who lost it all. And, and, and you see them both in Mark chapter 5 tells the story how when Jesus comes, that he runs to Jesus and he does the same thing as the rich young ruler. He falls on his knees before Jesus and says, have mercy on me. Sometimes when we kneel, when we need answers from God, when we realize that he is what we need, we kneel before him in pursuit. And it doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what your history is, what your bank account looks like. None of that matters. What matters is when we come to the moment that we recognize that we need Jesus and that Jesus has what we need, we kneel before him in pursuit. I remember a time when I was 17 years old, raised in a, in a, in a pastor's home, called to preach, and, and my life got out of, out of whack and I was living in sin and I was making mistakes. And I remember when I came to myself and I was in the prayer room. And I was praying and I prayed, I love you, Jesus. And for the first time in a long time, I meant it. And, you know, I ran out of there. Church had already started. And I, I didn't stop at a pew. I didn't do any of that. I knew that I needed something from God. And I went straight to the front. And I knelt down before God and said, Jesus, I love you. And I need you. And I knelt before God in pursuit. And God met me there and changed some things there. And rearranged my trajectory there. Why? Because when we're in trouble. And when we're overwhelmed. And when we're searching and looking for answers. We can always kneel before Him in pursuit. Perhaps tonight some here are struggling with issues you don't have answers to. But look, when life gives you more than you can stand, you can always kneel. You can always kneel. And listen, sometimes we search for God and we, we do everything we can to stand and we, we try it all in our ways. And sometimes the quickest way to find what we're looking for is to get down on our knees. It's to humble ourselves in pursuit of God and kneel in pursuit. Some, some here tonight, maybe you haven't been following God like you know to. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with doubts, not sure of what you believe. And, and I ask tonight, why don't you kneel down in pursuit of God and just ask Him? Just ask Him. Because you would be surprised what God will do if you'll just kneel down and say, God, I don't have the answers. God, I, I don't know all the theology, Lord. I don't know how to answer all the questions that the world is throwing at me. But, but if I could just kneel in pursuit and ask. The Bible says, if I draw near to Him... He'll draw near to me. So everybody say kneel in pursuit. We, we don't just kneel in pursuit. Sometimes we need to kneel in repentance. Amen. Romans says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when the weight of sin grows heavy and too much for us to bear, 
we can kneel before him in repentance. And Luke, Luke chapter 5 tells the story of how the disciples went out fishing. And Jesus comes and he finds his disciples fishing. They fished and they toiled all the night and they didn't catch anything. And I can relate to them because I, when I go fishing, the fish go somewhere else. And uh, that's why they call it fishing and not catching, right? That's the motto of my fishing career. That's why they call it fishing, not catching. And so Jesus walks up on the shore, and they're out in their boat, and here's Peter, who is a professional fisherman, been toiling all night, doing every trick he knew, pulling everything out of the book, switched lures, you know, 15, 20 times, whatever he had to do. He's been fishing all night, and he's caught nothing. And Jesus says, hey, 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 Peter, why don't you try throwing the net on the other side? Imagine that. All night long, he'd only been missing the fish by a few feet. Jesus says, I mean, the boat couldn't have been that wide. Peter is saying, you're telling me that I've been fishing here, and all night the fish have been there? It's like when he threw the net down, the fish would say, you know, guys, get over here, get over here. <laughs> they all go to the other side of the boat, right? Listen, I know all about that. I can tell you why. Because I've been blessed to go fishing with Pastor a few times. And listen, he's got the spider rig. We were crappie fishing. He's got the spider rig at the front of the boat. And I can promise you this, there are more fish at the front of the boat than there is at the back of the boat. Just because by the time I get to them, they're caught or gone. <laughs> and may, maybe that was it. Maybe they were throwing out the back of the boat and they needed to get the spider rig on the other side. But Jesus comes along and he says, he says, try it on the other side. You can almost hear Peter rolling his eyes like, Jesus, we've tried all night long. And you're telling us that we've been missing the fish by a few feet. And, you know, finally he says, nevertheless, at, at thy word, because you asked me, because it's you, Jesus, we'll try it. We'll give it a try. What have we got to lose? Just a little time, right? And the Bible says they throw the, the nets on the other side and they pull in so many fish that they can't even handle the catch. And listen, listen to what the scripture says. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he says, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around. He doesn't fall on his knees and be like, Jesus, thank you for all the fish. It's not what he does. He falls to his knees because he, he realizes and recognizes that he is too stubborn and slow of heart to believe when Jesus says fish the wrong way, it's the right way. Try something that will never work. He doesn't have the faith to believe and he falls to his knees and he says, Jesus, you need to leave here because I'm too much of a sinner. You're too good to me and I'm not good enough to listen and obey you. Listen, we can all say, every one of us, that we've been too stubborn to just listen and obey the word of God. Sometimes God asks things that are unreasonable, impractical. That will never work. Jesus, that's not how things work out here. And Peter was that guy. He thought he knew more than God, especially when it came to fishing. 
And when he realized how stubborn and slow to hear he had been, when he finally sees what obeying the word could do, he falls down on his knees in repentance. That moment when you realize that his way is better, that's when we fall on our knees in repentance. That's when we fall on our knees and we say, God, I am tired of being too stubborn to listen to you. And Lord, I'm humbling myself and I want to try it your way. I want to live your way. Listen, we all have things to repent from. Some of us need to repent from attitudes that we've held on to. Things that we've justified in our own mind and spirit as necessary for our career or necessary to navigate this life. We need to repent of attitudes that we've held on to. Some of us have unforgiveness that we've harbored. Sins we've held on to. Doing things our way. It'll never work that way. Jesus, I know, I know that you say thou shalt not lie. But every once in a while it really feels like a lie is what I need to do. Anybody ever been there? When the officer asked, do you know how fast you were going? <laughs> how many of you ever said yes? <laughs> you better because you did know. Well, I thought I was going well, I had it set on such and such. That really did happen to me. We've got things that we need to repent of, of doing things our way. And, and when we've been living, not listening to God. Listen, you can come to church and not be obedient. I read the book of First Peter this morning, so powerful. The whole book is about being obedient children. Obedient because we're expecting the return of our Lord. And, and looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. So we should live as obedient children in this world. We should live as strangers and foreigners. And sometimes it feels like we need to fit in with this world. Like we need to do what everybody else is doing. Sometimes it feels like we need to try the old fishing methods we know. But listen, when it comes to the point where we recognize and realize that God's way is the best way. We can always fall on our knees. And repent before God. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. God is faithful and just to turn it around. What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, Peter, from henceforth, from this day forward, you will no longer catch fish. He says, but I will make you a fisher of men. And Peter leaves his nets behind. Why? Because he realizes and recognizes this was the perfect scenario and set up to get Peter to realize that his plan and his way will never deliver him to where God has called him. And so the next thing that Jesus says, what does Peter do? He's not bargaining. He's not complaining. He's not questioning in his mind. He's not saying, I don't think that I'm cut out to be a preacher. I don't think I could ever stand up at Pentecost. Peter leaves his nets behind and says, Lord, whatever you want me to be, I'll be. Why? Because he knelt down in repentance before God. Kneeling before God empowers you to stand before men. And Peter became the preacher of Pentecost because he got the message of the other side. We kneel in repentance. And finally, we kneel in submission. Everybody say submission. We kneel in submission. I got a confession to make. It's one of those things I need to kneel in repentance about. Is I, I'm a huge fan of the UFC. I love uh, mixed martial arts and 
And uh, Rowan, uh, my, my 10-year-old, a while back got into boxing. And, and so every once in a while, we'll watch a fight here and there together. And uh, I taught him about the rear naked choke. Anybody know what a rear naked choke is? You sneak it behind somebody, you twist them up, and you put them to sleep. Around our house, it's very common that if someone walks up behind you, you're probably about to get choked out. <laughs> Especially if it's me or Rowan. Today, I grabbed him in front of the fridge, and I just put him in a rear naked choke and hauled back on it. And he, You know what he did? He, he tapped out. Because that's what you do in the UFC, is when somebody's got you in a submission, you tap out or you pass out. <laughs> but most smart fighters, they don't, they don't wait to get passed out. They tap out. And so that's, that's the goal of these submission fighters is to tap. In fact, I, I'm going to make another confession, and parents, forgive me for this, but at, at kids' camp, uh, I was in the boys' dorm, and the last night we got out all the mattresses off the beds, and we put them on the floor, and they said, we want to wrestle. And I didn't know David Joe uh, had, had some MMA training and, and some of the other kids. They knew how to do submissions. And so... I had about eight or nine boys wrestling around, and every single one of them was trying to choke each other out. They, they were hauling down. They didn't know how to do it. But listen, listen what happened is, is several of them, not just one or two, like three of them got in a choke where I thought, man, I'm going to have to step in. I, I don't want anybody to get hurt or passed out or anything like that. These boys would not tap. I was over on the side, just tap, man. He's got you. Oh, I can still breathe. <laughs> I got this, turning shades of pink and purple. I thought, oh, dear heavens, I hope insurance company's not listening. <laughs> I laughed, and, and we had a good old time. But I learned something. Those boys would not tap. It didn't matter how hard that other boy hauled on them. They were not going to tap. Not today, devil, right? <laughs> not today. But isn't that how we are with God sometimes? Is God is trying to speak to us, trying to reach to us, trying to talk to us, trying to get us in the right position, and we just won't submit. We just won't tap. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what God is convicting us about. We know, but we just won't tap. Other cultures, kneeling in submission and honor is the norm. If you go into Asia, many of them will bow and kneel before you. In Europe, they curtsy before royalty. Japanese business meetings, they will actually bow before one another before the business meeting. Muslims, they bow five times a day when they pray on their mat. And here's the thing. The reason kneeling is not a big part of our culture is because submission is not a big part of our culture. It's just not a part of who we are. But here's the thing. As Christians, there comes a time when we have to kneel in submission. And the picture... And the scripture gives us in Luke 22 is Jesus, on, after the last supper, presses a little farther into the garden. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond his disciples. And the scripture says that he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knelt and prayed until he got control over his life until he was able to submit his own human will to the divine plan of God. And Jesus, our great example, knelt 
in submission to God. Help in submission. That's really what we need to do. Because most of us, there are areas of our life that God has talked to us about, that God has dealt with us about, and, and, and we just haven't submitted to God. And we haven't bowed our knee before Him and said, God, Your way is higher than my way. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And Lord, now listen, I, I want to say this. You can't submit in, unless you disagree. Some people are hung up because they disagree with God. Listen, when you disagree, that's when you bow your knee. And you submit. And you might say, God, I don't understand it. But you're God. You're the one who can open the scroll. You're the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. You're the one who saved me and who loved me and who called me out of darkness. And so, God, I may not understand it, but I, I kneel and submit. Not only that, but, God, I may not like it. You may understand just why God doesn't want you to do it. And, I, and you may not like it, but... That's why we bow our knee, because we recognize that he's higher than we are. We see, kneeling to pray is often what gives us the strength to stand. And so we need to kneel in pursuit, we need to kneel in repentance, and we need to kneel in submission. I want us to stand. I'm, I'm, I'm closing. And I want to close with this. This is a song. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. Nobody's going to know. But there's a song a few years ago that, that we started buying these country Christmas albums. If you've never bought one, they're great. And, and what they do is they take all kinds of their new and old uh, Christmas songs. And uh, we got this this country Christmas album with a song by Leanne Womack that I never heard. She wrote it. It's called The Nativity. I want to read the words because it so succinctly describes what I'm trying to talk about tonight called the nativity and she says I remember every Christmas on my mother's china hutch sat a tiny nativity that I was not allowed to touch I would stand on tiptoes peering pensive eyes wide imagining what I would do if I were there inside and she sings would I kneel beside the manger and worship him on my knees would I be of any service to the savior soon to be could I persuade the unknowing to accept him in their heart? If I were there with Jesus, would I help to right the wrong? The next verse says, I remember every Easter at the Central Baptist Church, hearing of a story not so joyous as his birth. I would sit so still thinking how it seemed unfair, imagining what I would do if I had been right there. Would I kneel before the cross and worship him on my knees? Would I be of any service to the Savior soon to be? If I were there with Jesus, would I help to right the wrong? Listen, that's the question that I really have for you tonight. Is, is what if you had been there with the wise men at the manger? When they come into the room with his majesty, and they realize and recognize that everything we've been looking for is right here. Everything we've been searching for is right here. Would I kneel before the manger? Would I worship him on my knees? You see, here's the thing is, is we don't have to wait for a manger. We don't have to wait for Revelation 5 and seeing around him. Is you can kneel now or you can kneel later because the Bible says every knee will bow. 
every tongue will confess. I hope that somebody makes the decision to bow a knee before God and say, God, you're greater than I am. And in this season, I humble myself and I lift you up. Can we just lift our hands and pray? Oh, God. Oh, God, you are so much greater than we are. You are the king of eternity, God, who came and robed himself in flesh. You are the one true, eternal, wise God. And, Lord, we humble ourselves before you this Christmas season. And we recognize how beautiful that you are, God. We kneel before you, God. I pray that you would let worship sweep through this congregation in 2020, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would let us come to worship. And that in this Christmas season, you would be exalted and lifted up high. In Jesus' name, we praise you. And we give you honor and thanks. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise?